Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Elizabeth Alvarez. And Elizabeth is superintendent of schools for Forest Park District 91 in Illinois. Welcome to the podcast, Elizabeth. Thank you. Excited to be here. So first of all, I mentioned before we started recording that we have a lot of educators who listen, but also people outside of education. Uh, So can you tell us a bit about about the the district and, and a bit about the role of schools? Sure. Um, The best way to describe uh, the superintendency is being the CEO of um, schools. Um, So chief education officer, in this case, or executive officer. Um, Currently, right now, I oversee five schools. It is a small district in comparison to where I did come from before. Um, And so Forest Park, just so you know, is a suburb that is very close to Chicago, um, just minutes away. So um, it has that kind of urban um, and also little town feel to it. Uh, So that's the nice part about it. And so coming here as superintendent, I oversee not only the instructional pieces, but also the operational um, and making sure that you know, all the resources that are, are needed for our schools, as well as the instructional pieces, the management and the rigor that has to happen within the schools, along with hiring. And I think the most um, uh, like thing that really makes people like uh, afraid of being a superintendent is that that monthly meeting that you have to have the board meeting, because my bosses are seven people. And they are community members um, that hired the superintendent. They were the ones who hired me. And they're the ones who kind of ask me questions and request certain things of me once a month. And you could have them more than once a month. So we look at budget as well as looking at the um, what's happening with the strategic plan um, so that they keep me accountable on what is happening at the school and making sure that our scores are going up uh, when it comes to high stakes testing or assessment, um, how I'm approaching it, how am I providing professional learning, how I am hiring. Although I am the superintendent, I get to do all the hiring, they then question. Um, The board members also let me know if I can or cannot hire, if I can use money in certain places or the resources that they need to go to. So keep it in mind that I have seven different individuals and personalities to balance as well and not just one boss mm-hmm. but seven of them mm-hmm. that um it's it is a fine um dance that you must make to make sure that your board members are being addressed as well as the entire board as a a, a uniform um or unity i should say a, a unit 
Um, and so that's the tricky part and the most um, like uh, people wonder more about that. The interesting thing about that is that I come from Chicago public schools. I was there for 29 years and every principal in Chicago public schools had their own little board as well. It consisted of 10 people versus seven. So I had a good practice coming from being a principal, having my own board, and then going into becoming to a chief of schools where I was overseeing 33 schools and now I'm overseeing five. But I'm gonna tell you right now, it's a, a world of a difference being now like the, the top boss, being that CEO versus being middle, um, the middle mm. management where you're overseeing the schools. Because here, I mean, the, the, the buck really does stop here um, and making decisions and making sure all the right voices are being heard um, as, as well as our students, because that's the most important thing. And every decision you make has to be about children. And at least for me, that's where it comes down to. It's about our children and, and what they need um, and the here, the now and in the future. Yeah, no, that was a lot. Thank you so much for that. No, that was very well articulated us in. Uh, I, I want to hear a bit about your story now, and uh, I know listeners really enjoy this. So with uh, growing up with, with your childhood, as you look back at that season of your life, Elizabeth, uh, what are some moments that really shaped you into the person and lady you are today? So I have shared my um, my leadership story or my curriculum story many times. And I think the more I share it, um, it doesn't get any easier. I, I don't know how else to put it. Um, and the reason for it is because um, my choice in choosing education was based on my experience as a student. So I, I'm gonna start with first, um, I am um, Mexican-American. Uh, here in the United States, they do tend to put like um, uh, race and ethnicity come before the American. So I am Mexican-American from two uh, parents who uh, immigrated from Mexico, who wanted better for, for their children, having four children. Um, and um, my, I have a mom that um, didn't finish high school and a father who actually started becoming, re well, he was interested in education from, from his youth, but after joining the army, um, he got very much involved into education. So he was a great role model to see that, um, the importance of education. And then I had my grandmother who was always reading, uh, constantly reading that also gave me the love for education and reading um, and wanting more knowledge. Um, with that, my parents uh, sent me to a Catholic school with my, my siblings and we were the, um, only Latinos there in the Catholic school. And when I, I talk about that, um, wow. there's a lot of hurt feelings because I was different. I looked different. I knew that I was not part of uh, what they would call uh, American or what they viewed to be in their eyes American. Um, my early years, I kind of wrote about it in an article talking about how I wanted to pretend that I was someone different. And to the point when someone asked me if I was Asian, 
because uh, I do have a little bit of a slanted eyes in that sense. I thought, hmm, maybe I could be someone different. But as I got older, it was very apparent that I was I was Latina. Um, and so this, this kind of um, behavior towards me or feeling ostracized was not only by the children, but also the teachers. I, I won't say all the teachers because in my earlier years from kindergarten, probably up to fourth grade, I felt like my teachers really cared for me. And it was until I got to like fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, it became more apparent that my voice was not important. Um, when I would ask questions um, just in regards to like the Holocaust or slavery or evolution, I was told that those were not true um, and that um, where was I getting my information from? Um, I also was told um, things about, um, you know, science was not the career I should go into. So keeping in mind all this time and as you're growing into a middle school student, your spirit gets killed. And then you start thinking, wow, I'm not going to amount to anything because they don't see anything in me. Um, and as I got into high school, still in a Catholic uh, high school, all girls school, the nuns there um, were very different. Um, first of all, they, they were mean to everyone. So it, it didn't matter race, ethnicity. Um, and I don't, I don't want to call it mean, but they were strict. I should say better yet, they were very strict and stern and had these really high expectations. And so because of that, um, all of a sudden I shifted to maybe there's a possibility. Um, and the power of educators really came out. And um, I started thinking a little bit more about my educators in elementary school and how they killed my spirit to my newfound love to education with the educators around me kind of pushing me to college and telling me, no, you're going to go to college, that there's no ifs, ands, buts about it. And keep in mind, my my parents weren't thinking about college. It was um, the educators in my high school kind of feeding that into me. And then me wondering, like, well, maybe I will amount to something, but will I graduate? Um, so that was a, a huge shift for me. And finally making it to college saying, yeah, I think I want to go into education because of that power of educators that really made me shift my thinking and telling me that you can be someone and you can make a difference in just one individual child. Um, and so college, I started pursuing my uh, education degree um, and then moving forward into my master's and then wanting more because I just craved it so much uh, that I got my PhD and wanted to talk more about the power of storytelling as well, the power of storytelling from Latinos when it comes to teaching and science. Um, all of that um, came about because of my high school teachers, but then meeting some really great professors um, as I went into the University of Illinois uh, of Chicago. And they really kind of really sparking my thinking and saying that keep on researching and making sure your voice is being heard because I've had some really remarkable mentors or champions in education that I really uh, um, fell in love with overall. So I hope that kind of explains it all. Yeah, well, I think I'm just so thankful for your vulnerability and sharing that. Um, yeah, I can only imagine the, the heartache of 
middle middle school uh, girl feeling like you said having your spirit crushed and uh i i've found this i've, I've been uh, working with um a lot of educators just the number of educational leaders who had at one point in their schooling uh for different reasons a really tough time and i think it, it often is part to go you know what like like for you how then some people really help turn it around different some high school teachers um and then people go you know what i'm gonna get i'm gonna go and i'm gonna um either to make it so it's not like it was for me at that point or to help like someone did for me and really really give them um you know help to help to give i guess lift their spirit and capable of um when they might feel crushed yeah because you don't want children to experience the same thing you want to empower them and um i think that's another reason why i decided to continue like from being a teacher to then a coach to then assistant principal to a principal and now a superintendent that i'm like you got to reach more you got to reach more um and knowing i'm still going to make mistakes i'm still learning i'm not perfect um but mainly making sure that children know that this is not the end all in middle school, particularly because it's such a difficult year and you can't give me a million dollars to go back to being a middle schooler. Um, that is not an age that is mm. fun. And yeah. any child you ask that you, they, they will tell you the same, like it is a horrific age, horrific age. Mm. And let yeah, alone having, you know, teachers tell you, well, you're not going to amount to much that even more so to pile that on top. Yeah. Um, it's what one question I'm interested in is, um, you know, those high school teachers who did make a difference, who did speak to the potential in you. Uh, I'm interested in how they did that because I can think of so many leaders who might be in different parts context it may not be race related but there's, there's something going they're wondering how can i be a bit of a shining light and really um make a difference in some people's lives that i'm leading right even if it's not teaching what what was it about those high school teachers like was it specific was it how they treated you what, what was it that really lifted you up and and was has left the biggest yes. sort of um impact on you yeah um so when i think back to high school um obviously the structure that was placed there um that allowed me to, to see a little bit further of how um they cared for us in a sense like these are going to be your courseworks and then at the, not only that but you'll have the opportunity to, to do things together and actually have dialogue amongst one another and get to know each other a little bit more. Whereas in my elementary, you know, we're in line um, in rows and told not to talk to one another, told, you know, just read from the book and through a textbook where we weren't challenged in any way. And then you go to high school and you're, you're asked to do group projects. You're asked to really push each other's thinking and realize that you're not only accountable for your own learning, but also for your peers. Um, 
that provided that kind of a wow i can not only make a difference for myself but for my my peers that are around me and then you you get to start liking your peers so yeah it's the it's the teachers but it's the tasks that they provide us to allow us to talk to among one another to grow together and realize your voices are the ones that are going to be building up um, how you understand things, how you see the world, how you become more curious, how you you um, handle productive struggle. Um, that in itself um, meant a lot to me because the work was not easy in high school. It was very, very challenging. Um, and if it wasn't, the teachers realized it quickly and would would maneuver it and switch it and change it so that you were getting what you needed. And anytime I would walk out of that of uh, the high school, there was always a teacher that would meet you at the end of this, the, you know, the doorway as you were having that dismissal to check in on you. And there was just something like, do you have all the work? I do you have what you need? And so you weren't leaving alone. Like it was almost like a parent saying, You're about to go back to your home, but before you leave, what is it you need? What is this, the services that you need? Because I'm here before you walk out that door. Um and that really mattered. That those are the structures I'm talking about. I mean, even from listening to my principal, uh, I remember Sister Julie, just how she articulated things and the precision of language that she used was just so powerful to me. Um, like she didn't, she didn't want us to be lazy with language. She wanted us to use language in a way that that would, would maneuver things and um, make things happen and magic happen. Um, whether it's through word of mouth or whether it's on paper. And that was my principle, just on the PA system. Um, and she would check you as well if you were speaking to her, saying, is that the right word you wanted to use? Um, so I, I, I find myself using it a lot when people say, oh, I'm starving. And immediately I say, no, you're not starving. The, the, actually, you're hungry. You're, what you're saying is you're hungry. You're not starving. Starving is a, a different word. And so I catch myself yeah. all the time saying, oh, yeah, this <laughs> precision of language. It's the right word you're supposed to be using because of this. Um, and children catch it. me on it, too, saying like, oh, yeah, 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 you're going to change my word. But that's how I think it's important that we use language appropriately mm -hmm. um, rather mm -hmm. than um, using something differently or saying, well, just to be lazy with it. You want to yeah, be intentional. That I love the simplicity of what some of the things you mentioned. Checking in with you at the. I I think this is something for leaders that I you know recently I was having a chat with um with a leader in in the UK and I was talking to him about um some some part elements of his well-being and how simple. Uh, like I just love how simple some of the things you just mentioned are because for him I was we ended up just talking about the idea of actually doing some meetings while walking uh for him um and i think sometimes we we like to think leadership is really complicated um and yet the beauty of the story you just told is it was those little it was it was obviously the <laughs> the principal's passion for um for english and to speak well <laughs> that that it was like you caught that you know you really and uh, you couldn't help it, but catch it. Now you catch yourself doing it. I, I think that was just a beautiful story of modeling 
um, modeling something and, and that that's end up, up using it now as a as a leader and as a for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I constantly still find myself doing that. And even my my own children um, tell me all the time, like, oh, here she comes. She wants to correct our language. You know, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that stems from my high school. I know it. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So uh, I guess after that, you mentioned um, the, which I think is just incredible, uh, you know, the, the further studies you've done and, and, um, with the, with your, uh, um, coming, coming from a family where it sounds like there was a great passion for reading and education. And I just love how you've been able to really step into that PhD. Um, what about mentors along the way in people, leaders who have particularly significant influence along the way? Yeah. Um, so I, I tell people all the time that I didn't have my first teacher of color until I got into my PhD. Uh, uh, he wow. um, was so significant to me. Um, I, I say it all the time. He's my champion. Um, and so uh, this was Prof Professor Gallegos, Bernardo Gallegos. He passed away in 2019. Um, but I had started my uh, PhD in 2000, um, got to meet this man, this wonderful, wonderful man who um, taught me about performance and a lot about race and identity, um, which allowed me to, I would honestly, to share my story a little bit better because I was ashamed of it and I kept it hidden. Mm -hmm. And then I, I meet this professor who's telling us all the importance of performance. And then unfortunately, people of color have to perform all the time or learn the ways of how white people maneuver themselves. Um, no one teaches us this. Um, I know Zaretta Hammond talks about it a lot, mm -hmm. about like, you don't, you, you don't go up to a white person and say, how can I maneuver myself within this white world? You just try to figure it out um, and you suffer through it. Yeah. And you catch yourself like, okay, now I'm going to this performance. Um, and now that I'm just kind of, sorry, going on a side note, when we talk about uh, diversity and equity and identity now, and we're, we're talking about this, a lot of the times they're, they're leaning on people of color to tell them, tell me how I could provide that more. How could I be more equitable? And unfortunately, it's like the same way we've maneuvered ourselves we expect our white our white counterparts to do the same and so he brought a lot of that out of me to start talking a little bit more about how do we we perform um when we have to do interviews when like for example uh the reason i spoke about storytelling a lot is because we are storytellers i believe everyone is it doesn't doesn't lean in just ethnicity but latinos have a tendency to do that because we want to be able to explain something before we really get into the, the question that was really being asked. And so if you're being interviewed for something, um, a story comes out. And unfortunately, in some places, particularly in education, nobody wants to hear that story. They just want to know, how are you going to get from A to Z? 
Um, and a lot of times you're penalized for it. And so we joke about it saying we have to provide this type of learning and training um, of saying, stop with your storytelling, just get to the point and let them know what needs to be said because you're gonna be penalized for your storytelling. Whereas in other places, people wanna hear that story and the importance of that story and how it really developed why you chose to teach in a certain way or why you chose um, a certain book or strategy. Um, and that's something, this, the storytelling part was so important to me that he brought out a little bit more. Um, and so I, in my dissertation, and he was part of my committee, I talk about the power of storytelling in science because as a science teacher, I taught very rote. I taught like the way I was taught, factual, um, even though there was a lot of um, obscure ideas uh, that are out there in science, and science in itself is a whole different language, uh, let alone teaching children who are trying to learn English as well. Um, and so uh, many times my children were telling me these stories, and I would just cut them off and say, nope, we're not going to talk about the stories. Let's get to the facts. Let's talk about it this way. And the children would come up to me and say, that's really bizarre, you being a Latina and you don't want to want to hear these stories. And then I was like taken aback by that, like saying, oh, wow, they're calling me out on my own identity. And I shared this with Bernardo and he was just like, yeah, they should have. Good. Good for them. Um, and it was just like, I didn't realize that. And I started writing about it further. And I, I started having this revelation that I was... Um, being stymied or like someone was pushing down the real me my entire life and not allowing me to be who I am and be excited and be unapologetic Latina. Um, and my children really taught me about that. And so I decided, tell me more stories and how you will start understanding concepts a little bit better because of these stories. And so I, I talk a lot about like, the easiest one is like matter like from solid when you think about ice or when you think about gas, you know, pancakes, you know, it is a liquid, but you heat it up and it becomes a solid, but yet you get water and you put it in uh, ice, you know, and refrigerated stuff and it becomes a solid. So you're talking about cold and you're talking about heat at the same time where you can make a solid and children talking about it, or even the condensation saying when I'm in my bathroom and all of a sudden I'm singing, I could see it starts fogging up and I could write on it and you talk about, yes, that's condensation. Let's talk a little bit more about it. So if they could start bridging that, bridging their stories to the actual facts, mm. it started becoming more powerful for them as they learned science. Um, and he's really the reason behind this um, of really pulling that mm. out of me. Um, and I'm telling him like, you really not only allowed me to be who I am through identity, but you allowed me to be a better teacher and educator because of it, because I now could be more true of who I am. Um, but yeah, I could speak about him forever because he truly was my champion. And I talk about champion in the sense of someone who put his name behind me and yeah. also mentored me. So I use champion in that way. So if I use it for someone else saying, I will be your champion, I'm going to give my whole self to you. And that's how I felt about him um, throughout my career. Even when I graduated with my PhD, we kept in touch and he would give me 
um, feedback all the time and question me on things. Um, and unfortunately, um, he decided to go on uh, another journey, uh, but I still feel him in spirit every time I make a mistake, anytime I question, anytime I reflect. And I get really teary-eyed about it because he's really important to me. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you so much for sharing that him. And um, it's, it's just a beautiful story, really. And, and um, I've, I'm, I'm just um, very touched that you've uh, that you shared that. Uh, I, 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 do you have any favorite stories? I know you've mentioned a couple about him, but any others? Any pieces of advice he gave you? Any any stories? Into something during your PhD or that you by surprise? Any really memorable <laughs> things that he said or the way he handled things? Uh, like you mentioned, uh, his his how he articulated that you know what we need to actually um sure uh, you know work, um, work harder and anything else like that that comes to mind stories well he um there's a lot of stories he shared about because um he was very proud as well of uh his being being indian uh from new mexico um he called himself a coyote as well um but the biggest thing is about the way he taught um was so different than what I was used to, even from other professors. Um, and it's mainly because he would he would play certain like movies um, that sometimes were had like um, singing in it, um, particularly with indigenous people. And then he would bring it back to us and talk about what are you seeing? What are you feeling in regards to identity? And I never really thought of that medium of movies or songs or um you know that kind of stuff to be like that obviously that is part of education but to bring it into the classroom i started seeing it very differently and i'm like yeah what a wonderful way to bring outside things into the classroom so you could speak more about it and like how did that make you feel and what are things that are coming to mind for you because he would talk about his aunts and uncles called them his tios and tias all the time and um, shared about his football life um, and having to cross um, like um, these uh, railroad tracks. And he knew immediately from crossing the railroad tracks that his identity suddenly changed to being more of a him. But when he crossed over the other side, he had to be more of a white him. Like those are the stories that I was like, oh my God, yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. And he said, I knew. He said, I was blessed because I got to fit in a little bit more with our white counterparts and why I was able to get through um, through education more so than some of my cousins and what they had to deal with. But that doesn't excuse anything or or um, take away anything that he, he suffered even less or more. Because one thing he did teach me is the higher up you go in your education or even in your career, you're gonna suffer more because of those performances you have to go through. Whereas someone who doesn't, um, they're around people who are a support system for them and they don't necessarily have to suffer as much because they don't have to perform as much as someone who's trying to get ahead or trying to get a better education yeah. because you know you're gonna be having pushback and diversity. I mean, um, yeah, the diversity is not there. Um, and there's going to be walls put in front of you and you're going to have to work harder 
And he said, and that's mm. something that you will have to understand with performance and identity. And that really struck something really big with me. As I think yeah. about my family uh, as well. Mm. No, I, I can see, um, I can see how significant that, that was. Um, as we, as we sort of uh, start wrapping up, one one question I have for you before we jump into Leadership Express, as a leader, can you think of any of your own aha moments over the years? Uh, you yeah, know, one of those moments that that's forever ingrained in your memory because there was a lesson in it. Whether something went better than expected, you watched someone else do something. Whether something sort of fell apart, and you'll never forget why, why that happened. happened. You know, any any real aha moments in leadership that pop into your head? Yeah, I could give you one. I had a, a supervisor once. Um, I, I ask this question all the time when I'm interviewing um, in regards to, was there ever any type of feedback that changed how you thought or, or did things? Um, and the reason I say this, because many times people respond to that saying, um, uh, oh, they told me I did a good job. I'm, I'm trying to think of something of that sort. But I'm really looking for actual change or what, how it allowed you to reflect. And so the one, the example I have uh, that really changed my leadership, um, I had my supervisor said, let's go into classrooms. And I'm over here observing my teachers. And as we walk out, he starts asking me what I see. And I start talking about it. And he said, well, how will you address it? And I start talking about it as if I'm going to fix it all, um, as if I'm the one going to do the heavy lifting of it all. Um, and I say that purposely because he then responded to, you're a fixer, Liz. And he said, and when you just fix things, you're not growing your teachers. You got to give that to them so that they grow. So how do you make sure that they get that wealth and you're providing that feedback to them so that you're no longer fixing it and they're adjusting it because they know that's the right thing to do and your feedback is the one it's going to provide them to think differently where you're not going in there and just fixing it for them. It's almost like the, the fairy tale of, you know, uh, the fisherman. I don't know if you know that one saying teach someone to fish and they'll eat forever uh, versus if you fish for them, you know, they'll eat, they'll eat as long as you're fishing for them. Mm. Um, and that was significant for me because I never saw that in my leadership before until he pointed it out. And now it's so different uh, when I go into classrooms or when I'm working with people that I'm, I'm working on the right questions and not coming up with the solution um, because it is so much more powerful mm. when it comes from them. It is so yeah, much more powerful when that. they start thinking about that question differently and saying, oh, yeah. yeah, how can I address that a little bit differently? And so that it doesn't come out of my mouth. It's coming out of theirs. Uh, that's such a great story. And I love that. And I love that that phrase, your fixer. <laughs> when you fix it, they don't get the wealth of that. How can you, how can you give them the opportunity to actually step into that? Oh, that's just wonderful. Well, let's jump into Leadership Express. I've got a few questions for you. Uh, the first oh, question I'm is, worried about what's this. A book... <laughs> 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 what's, 
what's a book gifted to other people? Any books that if you think back, you've you've gifted to other people or recommended? Oh yeah. Um Cast is a huge one. I think everyone should read it. So I've been giving that away. And um another book that I was giving away is Yes And. Um, so those are my two books. Um, there's a couple of others, like How to Be a, a Kick-Ass Boss is one of them. Um, <laughs> these are all really significant books that I told people, you got to read it. Um, it's important in regards to leadership. Yeah, I love it. No, great recommendation. Um, what's a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time? Or I'm, I'm sorry, what's a recent what? A recent leadership lesson. Mm. Yeah, so um, many times um, because we have such limited time with things, um, feedback from your constituents is so important. And you have to stop and start reflecting on whose voice am I not hearing yet? Um, it goes with policy as well, too, um, before you start moving on decisions. And so as, as much as you think, like, I got everyone's feedback, there's always someone you're not getting. Um, <laughs> and the most important one on yeah. there is, did you get the student feedback? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that is a good, um, I like that as a bit of a, a, when you think everyone's feedback, just when you think, yeah, that's when you probably need to realize there's at least one person out there that hasn't, um, because that's definitely been my experience too. It's um, it's always better to to err on the side of being really thorough, and really just trying to engage people and and help them feel heard. And and like you said, in, in your students, what they see, if you if you can tap into that and truly understand and get their feedback, um, it's uh, yeah, I love. In business, in corporate, everyone talks about the challenge of seeing through the eyes of the customer. And I feel like it's it's the same sort of thing, but just in education, it's the challenge to actually see through the eyes of a student and, and to understand what they see and make decisions. Well, and that's the thing. The decisions are being made. Yeah, mm -hmm. the decisions are being made. And keep in mind, it's about the children all the time. And so you have to ask, did we ask them? How do they feel about it? Yeah, that's very good. What's a great piece of advice you've received in life or leadership? Someone gave you a great piece of advice and it's really stuck with you and, and it's it's been very memorable. Um, I'm sure right now I'm, I'm going to draw a blank by others, but one of them that I, I know a piece of advice was really just stay true to yourself because cream rises. Um, I've had people say, what does that mean? Cream rises. Um, but especially when you're feeling at your lowest and you're, you're, you're doing everything possible that is right. Um, and you know, for the right reasons that eventually you will see that you will rise above that. Yeah, that's great. I love that phrase. That's wonderful. Uh, do you have any movies or TV shows? This one can be lighthearted or it can be serious that have really influenced you. Oh yeah. I'll go with my movies first. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. 
Yes. <laughs> um, I could watch that over and over and over again. It doesn't matter what part it's on um, because there's just so much lessons in it. Um, the whole good and evil, the whole um, conflict or thinking that something is wrong and realizing that if I just, you know, work, we work together, you know, when I think about the fellowship um, and they were all, you know, from different, they're not all the same. Uh, you had humans and you had elves and you had hobbits and you, you know, all of that um, really made a difference to me saying working together is how we get things done. Um, and knowing that good would always, always supersede evil. So that's a huge one for me. Um, yeah, another movie I, that I really like is um, the um, Red Violin. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one. It's with Samuel L. Jackson, um, and it, it kind of talks. It, it talk. It it really goes into um, this violin that travels through generation to generation, and the hands that touch this violin. But it starts with the man who made the violin after his uh, wife passes away from giving birth and he he paints the violin with her blood um and so this violin lives through so many disasters almost as if the the wife the spirit of the wife lives on through these generations um mm. and the hands that have this violin um it changes them as well that one's a huge one for me uh, kind of taught me the importance of, again, spirit being around um, and living on forever. Um, yeah, and then you asked for shows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I could also talk about Harry Potter too <laughs> and go into those <laughs> or Star Wars. Yeah. Um, but for shows, um, I mean, I binged some stuff. I've watched... Um, Currently, right now, um, my husband and I are watching the morning show um, because it just happens to be there, and I'm I'm into it. I'm in, I'm enjoying like the conflict between people, but there's not. I mean, I, the Marvel series I watch as well. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not one right now I can think of that stands out uh, of shows. Um, I I really did like. Um, the Mandalorian, uh, a lot. That's a Star Wars series. Um, enjoyed watching that and how it connected back to the Star Wars uh, with Luke Skywalker. So those those are kind of things that I watch. Yeah, no, some some, some really fantastic uh, movies and TV shows there. And I haven't seen the Red Violin, so I'll put that on the list to, to watch that. Um, last question for you. Oh, you gotta you. watch it. Uh, enjoyed catching up question is if you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader what would you say oh one piece of advice i would give to a young leader is to journal and make sure as you're journaling as you listen to people take down what they are saying as well so that later on, as you reflect on what you wrote and what they're saying, see how much they align or see what the gaps are 
because um, that will later on help you in leadership. Yeah, great advice about journaling. People who've just really loved uh, hearing the story today, um, is LinkedIn or Twitter that people can uh, can follow you or find out more about the district? Elizabeth? Yeah. So I do have a, a Twitter account, although I, I might be questioning now with Elon Musk uh, being on there. <laughs> um, so my Twitter handle is E Alvarez D91. And then if you go to LinkedIn, I'm also on LinkedIn um, under Elizabeth Alvarez, comma PhD. So you'll find yep. me there. Um, so those are the two Twitter and LinkedIn um, of media that I use. I don't have uh, Facebook. Um, those are the two. Otherwise, I mean, you could always find me on my email account. That's public on there. And it's E Alvarez at fsd91.org. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. This has been uh, a really special uh, with just sharing um, just, just special story life and also many other things. Uh, for our listeners, I also have the John O. White Leadership Podcast, Question of the Day podcast, two different places to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, um, Elizabeth, for being so generous with your time, for sharing so vulnerably, and um, just for sharing some wonderful stories going to help a lot of people and challenge a lot of people in the best ways. Uh, so thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. 
and uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, Jono White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.